0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com/slash/changelog. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Catch your errors before your users do with Rollbar. If you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they have a special offer for you. Go to rollbar.com/slash/changelog, sign up, and integrate Rollbar to get $100 to donate to open source projects via Open Collective. Once again, rollbar.com/slash/changelog. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Changelog, podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at Changelog. Today Jared and I are talking to Perry Mitchell, talking about the importance of password management and his project Buttercup, an open source password manager built around strong encryption and security standards, a beautifully simple interface, and is freely available on all major platforms. We talk through encryption, security concerns, building for multiple platforms, Electron or React Native pros and woes, and their future plans to release a hosted sync and team service to sustain and grow Buttercup into a business that's built around its open source.
1: So today we're here to talk about a conversation that's near and dear to your heart adam and something that i use although i'm not quite as excited about password managers as you are and uh you you always bring up password managers specifically one password which we're not here to talk about one password but we probably will talk about it uh, in passing we're here to talk about buttercup but do we bring up the conversation of like why password managers matter i feel like our audience is probably on board with like this is important stuff what do you think adam
0: I like think maybe a small recap, just the fact that through 20 years of effort, we've successfully trained everyone to use passwords that are hard for humans to remember, but somehow computers can easily guess them. That's a direct quote from an XKCD cartoon right. that I just recently read. Um, I think it just makes sense to do a 101 on Y password, and just having them that are secure and then managers because, hey, they have to be hard enough, right? 24 characters, 16 characters a mix right. of digits and special symbols or whatever but maybe it's still 101 okay very good
1: well we have Perry here Perry you're obviously all in on passwords being important that you're working on Buttercup a password manager maybe from your perspective why are password managers something that are you know vital for people to understand and to use
2: yeah for sure I mean uh, password managers are a bit of a, a stand-in for for memory I I would say I mean we we Basically, understand the premise behind why you need passwords and why they need to be sufficiently complex. Uh, obviously, uh, the more complex they are and the more unique they are, then the lesser chance of somebody guessing them or basically uh, decrypting whatever protected content is behind them, forcing them yeah air. Of course, uh, so a password manager is kind of a stand-in, like a like a phone book to remember all these things. An uh, encrypted storage where you can where you can store these secrets. But the reason why it, it's so important is that obviously every password should probably be different as well. I mean, there are so many security concerns that maybe people don't consider on a day-to-day basis, but having unique passwords across all of your accounts is also one, one such factor and having a password manager kind of allows you to deal with that necessity as well. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, obviously today, so many people have uh, in the tens or if not uh, hundreds of accounts uh, online. So it is so important to have have those passwords stored somewhere where you don't really have to, have to worry about the, the strength or the uniqueness there.
0: Maybe to you, Jared, I'm curious if you use, as Perry mentioned, a different password for every account. Do you do that currently?
1: Yes I mean, Religiously. every like when you said every account there, I flinched a little bit because I had Ooh. to think, okay, every account. um I used to not you I used to have like a series of passwords that were based on like a you know it was there were phrases. They were good passwords, but they were based on a system I came up with. and I'm nerd, right? So like I'm like developing my own internal systems in my brain. And generating like versions sometimes it used to be based on like the domain name, blah 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 blah. That was the bad old days. Um, I do use uh, Apple's password management inside of Mac OS. So I'm on iOS. I'm on Mac OS. They have their keychain and they have their password generators. And I have been using them ever since they came out, which is probably probably only four or five years. I'm not sure exactly when that all launched. but Um, before then I used to have kind of levels of passwords, like my low security password where I'd use on, you know, sites I didn't care about very much. And then my high security passwords, which I would use on things like, uh, email accounts on things like bank accounts. But, um, yes, now that I, I I probably still have some of those floating around out there, but for the most part, I do use a, a high security, fresh password on every website. And I just use Apple's built-in stuff which works pretty well and uh, completely falls apart when it comes to sharing and teams and, and those kind of things, which we'll probably get into because that's where things get really complicated. So, like, so how you're do really we relying share?
0: on iCloud then too, in that mm-hmm. case. Yep. And obviously our trust in Apple. That's yeah. Right. I mean, you have to, you have to trust somebody. Somebody's that's trust right. in
1: Apple. Yeah. Trust somebody. And so on your, and you're, on your side, Adam, you're, you're a truster of one password.
0: Yeah, which is a very popular solution for these things. And I would say that's only because they've been around the longest, not because, and I would say, I would even contend they're one of the best. They're not open source, so my reason is simply because they've been around since forever, basically, mm-hmm. and they've evolved their service over the
2: years, too. Yeah, they've, they've got a great UI, uh, great user experience, uh, the whole thing's very fluid, uh, definitely someone to contend with uh, in, in the password manager field. Uh, I would definitely say that the drawback for a lot of users that I speak to is definitely their pricing. Uh, but other than that, like I would say that they're probably one of the, the biggest and the best to, to kind of set your targets on. So yeah, I mean, I think that your, your trust is well-placed if you're, if you're working with one password. So
0: Mm yeah, I'm actually, I stopped using, well, obviously earmark some of this for future conversation, but I've stopped using their, uh, the Dropbox sync just because I hated to have to have Dropbox installed to, into a new machine to then install passwords. It was always like this. Well, I got to get in a Dropbox. So, what's my password there? And it was always some weird rigmarole to get in there. So, I ended up actually using their hosted service now, which I agree their pricing is a little bit, hey, for security, right? I think you got to pay for security. There's one here you don't skimp, it's security. Or do you? Or, yeah, I guess we're doing. it. That's <laughs> so the question we're going to find out here. here. Yeah. Either either way, though, the 101 is definitely use secure passwords. More importantly, potentially even, uh, depending upon where you sit, make sure you use different passwords for each service. And then, you know, not to use the 1Password rule them all kind of thing, but, hey, it's a good brand name. Usually you have 1Password to get into your manager that has, you know, one key to all your kingdoms, basically. Would you say all that's right. the same way? Uh, Buttercup works here,
2: Perry. Yeah, for sure. The whole idea of like a master password, for for lack of a better term, right. but kind of uh, one one key to key to the kingdom, basically. Uh, one password which you explicitly should not use anywhere else. Uh, for that exact reason, is that it's super valuable. It should be very personal. Uh, it should probably be written down, and stored somewhere in case you ever have a lapse in memory. But basically, it should not be shared with anyone or any other service. So. Uh, and that is your at a very low level your encryption key to to decrypt your content uh, no matter where it's stored whether it's locally or on or on a cloud service like one passwords hosting so right. and at that point if you can if you can kind of get around that then I think that you're already doing very very well uh better than the majority of uh users out there unfortunately I think that it's still such a issue kind of communicating why this whole process is necessary for someone to follow uh people don't feel like they're a target uh but Obviously, mm-hmm. that these these sort of things, these issues that happen with a uh, account hijackings and stuff like that happen on mass, uh, and it's never really targeted. So
1: yeah, you don't have to be a target. You can just be one of a group of people whose you know passwords have leaked through some service that you once use. And if you are not having unique passwords per service, and you use that elsewhere, then it's very easy at that point for somebody to just you know, brute force say I have all these passwords on service a, I'm going to run them all against service B and see who I can mm-hmm. get into. And so um, that's something that's happened on the regular nowadays, uh, especially with services used by millions. And in certain cases, billions of people um, with
2: huge data breaches. Yeah. This gets back to the point of having unique passwords. I mean, this, this cross pollination of services using uh, duplicate passwords is like, is such a huge problem. And if you go to the, the very famous site, uh, have you been pawned? Uh, it, you just drop in an email or a username and then it basically gives you a list of, uh, of uh, paste bins that your cred- credentials p- appear on. Um, and I've got numerous paste bins where my credentials have appeared on in the yeah. past. And uh, it's it's quite quite fun to kind of go through that and have a look. And hopefully you've updated your password since, since then. But it's such a great example of uh, why this whole process is necessary. So because
0: yeah, in most of those cases, too, when they're doing those data grabs or those breaches they are not only just getting your password, they're also getting other key information, like potentially even things like middle name, uh, usually the email address goes with it. So other key information they can then also use to act as you essentially go along with that. You know, exactly. so it's it's really, uh, you know, if you're using the same password across different services, or having like in your case, Jerry, what you said before, some sort of like high security that's reused. And I'm not saying you're doing that now, but like I did that at one point too, where I had, oh, this is my high security password, and I just would reuse it here and there, or at least on high security services. Right. Meanwhile, you know, you're trusting that they've got their data intact or their security intact, and if they get hacked, then you're essentially open to hacks as well because
2: yeah, it's all it works. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. identity theft, basically. And then they can yeah. they can use your identity, which at the base level is usually your email address. And they, they can use that to, to attack you further or, or pose as you or, or do whatever with that. So yeah, it's a, it's quite damaging, of course. So
0: clearly they're important, right? I mean password managers and or high security passwords are important, but uh, maybe what seems less maybe actually, maybe, maybe more so in today's world than maybe it was in the early days or beginning days of 1Password since they're the Goliath around here is that, you know, we're drawing more and more to open source software, not just software really in our world, but particularly open source software and in lots of cases around security. So maybe take us back to some origination for you. You know, you got Goliath in the room. You started this from what I can tell in 2015. So it's not like it was yesterday. It was like three years ago. Yeah. And you know, one password's out there. Not to mention LastPass, yeah, um,
1: Apple's iCloud stuff. So there's yeah. you know, big players in the market. Yeah,
2: I mean, the funny thing was is, is back in 2014, 2015, I had a, a really atrocious uh, uh, kind of practice with with my passwords. I I had some four character passwords on some services which allowed it. So I I had a very uh, one, two, know, three, 4. Of, <laughs> 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 no, a little bit more complicated. It was, it was alphanumeric at least, but no, still still four characters. Pretty pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, and uh, eventually got talked into using a password manager by, by somebody much more wise than me and started using KeePass because uh, I was uh, cheap and didn't want to didn't want to pay for one of the services. So uh, quickly discovered how much I hated uh, the experience of using KeePass and how broken the interface was and how lacking the cross platform support was in terms of like a unified experience uh, and also the complete lack of syncing. So syncing my credentials between devices was was absent mm-hmm. there. So that was a problem. Uh, and then obviously looked towards the competition and, and didn't find a whole lot which I loved back then and just felt kind of this immense interest in the whole security aspect and the sinking aspect and and kind of fixing all of these loopholes and doing all that and then getting something for free. And, of course, it's not free. It's my time, but it's a right. kind of like a, a, a work, a passion, and then kind of providing that for other people, actually, so they can go – and get this, this application uh, without all the fuss, which I was going through to, to find something. So there, it's definitely to fill a personal need uh, at Buttercup. So it was, it was definitely, yeah, uh, it was kind of like my first big footprint uh, in open source, which I wanted to, wanted to get behind. And it's, just, it's grown a lot since then. So. so what's impressive to me about
1: it when I came across it, first of all, Buttercup.pw. Of course, it's in the show notes for those who want to check it out while we talk. But the UI looks very nice. The, the breadth of the work that y'all have done, there's a desktop client, which is cross-platform. There's the mobile clients. There's the browser extensions. It just seems like there's a lot of work to do and that has already been done in order to compete in a place where, like you said, you want to be synced across your devices. You don't want to have just access here or just access there. Um, a huge undertaking. I know you haven't done it alone, but the other thing that impressed me is it seems like it's pretty much a team of two. Maybe you would tell us about the team beside yourself, Perry, and then kind of how that's grown over the years
2: yeah, sure. so uh my colleague slur um yeah, yeah he's he's been obviously uh just a fundamental part of the whole whole process, and uh just like couldn't have done this without him and his motivation his personality. I think that like when you find the right people to work with uh you all know that it's kind of like key key to getting any project off the ground and uh, we met when I moved to Finland. Uh, both working at the same uh, ad tech uh, job, uh, not super interesting, but uh, pretty technical. Uh, got to know each other and got to know that we both enjoyed writing open source software. And uh, we spoke about the whole password manager situation, and, and he agreed. And yeah, we pretty much just got off the ground then and started kind of throwing things around in, in Node.js and 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 playing with the projects there, and kind of fell in love with uh, with crypto and 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 kind of building uh, building uh, projects around that. And yeah, the first project to kind of come out of that was the the desktop application with uh, Electron and React and uh it was just a, a huge amount of fun to build that uh completely new experience. I mean, back then it was still a little bit a little bit broken, a little bit rickety, it wasn't uh completely solid, it wasn't super friendly to build in, but uh, it it got things done and we were able to very quickly produce a cross-platform pl- cross-platform application. Uh yeah, and it just kinda of like spiraled from there. And and after that we just became, you know. Insatiated with with that, and, and went on to the mobile app, and then the browser extension. So let's
1: talk about the core. I I think the integration points are interesting. I think talking about how you integrate into the operating systems is so important for these types of applications. One of the reasons why I didn't use One Password back in the day, Adam, was because the integration into the operating system was just not there. And that's not One Password's fault. It was really Apple's fault in the case of iOS, where they weren't providing the hooks into the OS in order for that experience to be integrated. And so it was always like one extra step. It was always fighting with my convenience. And I already had, like I said, this system in my head of like mm-hmm. doing these passwords. And so I was just kind of limping along with a, a semi-good password system because I hated the fact that I would have to like leave Safari to go to 1Password to get the thing to get back into Safari. And a lot of that's been smoothed over in recent releases, at least on the iOS side. I'm not very familiar with the Android side, but... Um, I love to talk maybe down the road in this conversation about those integrations, Perry, and how you work into Mac OS and how you work into Windows to make that feel seamless because it really needs to be part of, you know, the kind of the core of what you're doing on your devices. But let's talk about how Buttercup works internally. You said you've gotten very much into crypto. I have no idea how these things work. I assume you have some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of secure vault that you're just encrypting based on this master password, but um, I wouldn't go any further than that. How do you build Buttercup from the inside out?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, essentially in memory, Buttercup's just a, just basically an object store. It's just storing uh, just obviously all of your, your entries in there, all your usernames and passwords. So essentially it's just plain text when, it, when it's in in memory, obviously protected by the operating system at that point, but while it's open, it's, it's mostly plain text. Uh, when it's closed, obviously all that's wiped. But what's being written to disk is actually uh, a delta. Uh, so a list of history of your of your vault. So what happens is every time you change a password, every time you move it in the vault, you change a username or something like that. So if you're updating credentials, this is very important. Uh, so the deltas uh, are kind of kept in in text format. So a huge list of all, all of the previous changes, probably a few thousand entries over some significant amount of time. Uh, And that's encrypted using uh, AES in CBC mode. So it's just a really, really basic, but still extremely strong encryption, which I would assume most password managers uh, use or or should be using, at least the big ones do. So last pass, one password, probably all use the same same technique. So we encrypt that um, and we also compress it. So we gzip it as well. So we try to make the file as small as possible. Uh, And on top of that, we're obviously running uh, key derivation. So obviously your password uh, isn't directly used to encrypt the content. Uh, We go through uh, the process of deriving uh, encryption key from that. And that's kind of where the security really comes in because uh, obviously if people are trying to attack your vault, they're trying to gain access to it. So usually they're brute forcing it or something, or they have some sort of uh, table uh, of most commonly used passwords, things like this. So basically, when they're when they're attempting to break your vault, they're usually trying to to brute force it, um, and that's where the key derivation comes in. Is that we use uh, two hundred fifty thousand, maybe three hundred thousand rounds of key derivation uh, iterations before we actually use the uh, resulting key to encrypt the archive, um, and that's basically to prevent uh, ultra fast brute force attacks. So mm. these are all pretty pretty standard techniques, but what they result in is a industry standard. Uh, if not better, a uh, very, very strong encryption technique to store, store the contents of the vault in a text format, essentially. So
1: Okay, so when I enter my master password in order to decrypt my vault and gain access to the password stored in, you're not hashing that. You're going through this derivation process is that right is yes. that when it happens is when i enter it and then you go yes 300 times in order to get to what is eventually the hashed
2: password exactly and there's also various other values which are stored with the vault such as a hmac which which is authentication so it's basically to ensure that the vault hasn't been tampered with uh which is another common crypto technique so after your password is hashed uh we also derive this hmac which is just another another type of key And we compare Mm -hmm. the two and basically make sure that the vault hasn't been tampered with. There's no modification to the data uh, before that payload is decrypted. So there's a number of techniques we use there just to make sure that the the vault is clear, not corrupted, not not modified. Um, And then, of course, we attempt to decrypt it. And if the password's wrong, the decryption will fail, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. but not after taking a substantial amount of time to derive the key. So obviously you have to wait uh, X hundred milliseconds for the key to be derived. Uh, which should hopefully prevent like a huge, large number of uh, attacks per second. So
1: Yeah, it's always fascinating to me, the desire for slowness. It's like the opposite of all <laughs> other computation, yeah. right? Like actually something that goes, you know, we talk about cryptographic algorithms and which ones work well. Most of the time you're going for speed, right? Like how can I get this encrypt, decrypted fast enough? But in the exactly. case, in these cases, you actually want it to go slow enough that it's computationally expensive to brute force. That's
2: always yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fine line to walk is like, how slow do you make it before it actually gets annoying? Um, and right. I think that we've skirted that a long time. It's been a huge challenge for us because if you take your 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 MacBook, for instance, like it, it decrypts and encrypts insanely fast. It's, it's ridiculous. So us using 250 or 300,000 uh, key derivation rounds is actually quite low. It's recommended to be a bit higher. But the second you take that process and you try to run the same process on a phone, especially an Android phone from maybe five to 10 years ago, uh, it's horribly slow and mm-hmm. the user experience is just not there at all. So you have to be considerate, but you also have to make sure that you don't just drop it down to an unreasonably insecure number. So it's a bit of a challenge.
0: Not only that, but now you have, I don't know how this fits into derivation, but like you got face ID or touch ID or different ID types aside from the password. So you've, you've once authenticated to it and now you get your face as part of the encryption process, which is a whole different thing. I'm sure that's at the uh, you know, iOS level, which you were talking about, Jared, the integration level and making that more and more seamless, which 1Password has done pretty well on that front, at least with Face ID recently. I've just started to use that. How, how does that kind of key part fit into this derivation process? Is that one more layer you have to, you know, add support for? Is that on the roadmap where you at with that? How does that fit
2: in? It's actually already done. I mean, uh, not for desktop yet, uh, but we have the Face ID and Touch ID working on, on the mobile so you can, after you've logged into your, uh, your vault for the first time using your uh, encrypted password, you can immediately turn on uh, touch or face ID depending on the device. So uh, what that does is it basically stores your master key uh, in an encrypted format, which is managed by the OS. So it's an mm-hmm. OS level thing. So at that point then, uh, iOS or Android is responsible for storing that uh, to its ability, best of its ability. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to have some level of trust at each step uh, depending on what you want to do here, but of course, people obviously store their entire lives on their phones, so yeah. I think that it's 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 a reasonable expectation to use something like Touch ID or Face ID for convenience at least. So
0: makes sense. Yeah, you definitely have to hand over some trust. And as you were talking through all this, I was thinking, gee, should he be sharing exactly how they do things? Because somebody could reverse engineer this, and well, it's all open source, bro. Well, yeah, yeah. of course, I guess so. But uh, you'd have to dig. So you'd have to either be, <laughs> you know, Perry. <you'd>... <laughs> how 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 hard you got to dig to get at your
2: guys's uh, algorithms for uh, this stuff? If if you know what you're looking at, it's it's right in front of you. Really, is it's like right? front page. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's not. Like people have raised that that point over and over and over for us. It's like, oh, open source isn't isn't that going to make it more insecure? And actually, that's kind of the opposite intention we're having. is try to make it more secure. I mean, I enjoy crypto. I wouldn't say that I, I'm definitely not a professional by any measure. Um, probably wouldn't say I'm a hobbyist, but somewhere in in the middle, basically. And this is where it comes in: is that I I can't put this whole uh, people's, all these people's trust in, in just myself or, or my colleagues, it it has to be a bit bigger than that. And that comes back to the open source discussion is that uh, it's it's for everybody to look at and everybody to critique and modify and improve. Uh, obviously, we were very comfortable with what we first released uh, in terms of being secure, but the intention is to kind of like make it better and uh, use as little homegrown crypto as possible and use as much as the operating systems were building on supply. So trying just to be very, very smart with that critical part because you only get one attempt uh, at building a secure system like this. So you don't really get, I mean, maybe some of the big password vendors, uh, such as LastPass, they've had a couple of uh, successful hack attempts. Mm-hmm. So I think that they've obviously still pulled through, but normally those things are incredibly damaging. So we need to make mm-hmm. sure that we have our ducks in a row with, when it comes to the crypto. How do you mean mm-hmm. you only have one attempt to getting it right? I, I've got a bit of a pessimistic view on, on the whole uh data breach thing i think that like it's, it's extremely damaging brand wise especially for for someone like us where 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 we're starting out so uh the crypto and the security measures there are definitely like a a, a primary concern for us uh just making sure that's all put together properly so in
1: light of that did you have any concerns with choosing electron and javascript as platforms with regard to this because of a lot of the transitive dependency problems that we've seen uh i'm looking at your at least uh buttercup cores package json and your dependencies here are very small so that's great obviously more dev dependencies than uh, runtime dependencies but i assume once you get to buttercup desktop this list is probably going to balloon what are your your concerns uh with regards to using third-party packages or is it more about using the right crypto algorithms and not rolling your own crypto
2: yeah, uh, that that's a extremely good question. Uh, I think there's definitely a bit of concern uh, on the table uh, with the dependencies. Uh, I mean, just today I got a message right before the right before this is that uh, that there was another dependency uh, injection uh, fast that appeared on on npm is some event stream library uh, which yeah. had some some malicious code injected into the minified source. And this happens all the time, and it is quite scary. And it, but from what I've seen, it normally happens due to the fact that whoever is the author of the the package has is, is normally done something quite questionable and normally handed over the ownership of the package to somebody else or, or used terrible security practices or something like that. So at least from what I've seen, it's been no, normal carelessness and I have a bit more faith in the, in the larger packages such as react and stuff like that, uh, where mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very, very strong community and review based, uh, progression model there. So I think that for the most part, if we kind of stick to kind of the core UI libraries and, and don't haphazardly uh, install uh, kind of like, you know, time saver dependencies, I think that will we'll be mostly okay there. But it is a constant concern and and I would ideally like to reduce the list of uh, dependencies down to something very, very manageable, something which is just bare bones and, and just what we need. But I mean, at, at some point... It, you know, it might it'll just become overkill, of course, because <laughs> I mean, you know, like you you can't make it perfect. At some point, you have to use somebody else's software. You have to use Electron. You have to use React. It's like uh, I think that you can get it to a point where it's a it's of little to no concern. But it's this it's, it's the same as thing as like is the computer you're running on secure. You know, have you installed something which is which is questionable? Are you on Windows and have? Did did your mom or somebody else install some some questionable package from the internet the day before? All of these things are going to increase the chances of of your your computer being hijacked, your your passwords being stolen, your secure information being being tampered with. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a you have to draw the line somewhere, but both the dependency model is and and everything else is is definitely a a concern for us. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. easy with the core, but with Electron, yeah, obviously it's going to explode. Uh, you need a lot to get off the ground with that these days. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, the reason I thought of that, well, first of all, it was also because of that, uh, the, I don't know if it's a zero day, that the specific uh, vulnerability that was pointed out uh, with regard to an npm module that was snuck onto npm and then you know propagated down and the, the difficulty with that is and i agree it's often the case and in this particular case it was a the main the main maintainer of the package gave contributor access to somebody who then pulled in another dependency which had this issue it's like these things are very difficult to manage right because um you may not even be the maintainer of the project it can be some a maintainer of a dependency of yours or maybe even a dependency of a dependency that was lazy or that was malicious. And yeah. so these things are very difficult. That's one of the reasons why I thought of it. The other reason is because we just recently interviewed Brian Bondi, who's a CTO of Brave, and they were maintaining their own fork of Electron. Brave is a web browser built on Electron. And they were maintaining uh, their own fork of Electron with specific security patches against Chromium that the Electron people have, you know, weren't as um, interested or motivated to keep up to date because of the way Electron's supposed to be used. It's not necessarily built to be a browser platform. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, they had security concerns there. And I was thinking, well, what about Electron in the context of a password manager? Certainly a password manager is not being exposed to as broad a swath of potential attacks as a web browser is but nonetheless um
2: these things most
1: def- most definitely are things that you're probably thinking about since security is so Absolutely. important yeah to
2: you. electrons actually probably the worst for us uh, i mean obviously we we have the browser extension which is all uh, browser based so that's also concerning but uh, yeah. i would say that the desktop's the probably the most concerning because you're right it's pretty much a a full-blown browser uh when you look at it so that that's a bit tricky for us but we do we do bundle everything when we release uh, which is very important for us so there's a very, very small amount of dependencies which are installed when you actually install the application. So what we're actually releasing uh, should stay relatively, well, mostly untouched. Uh, before it gets to the end user. So there are a couple of low level dependencies which actually need to be installed on the host operating system to actually work because they have uh, OS level bindings, uh, C level bindings, stuff like that. Um, However, everything else such as the UI libraries, all of the helpers, uh, the buttercup core, stuff like this, these are all bundled with the application. So these are not modified after you yeah. install them so they don't have a chance to download something else fetch malicious code um and we have a, a i i would say quite strong review process like we we check obviously the the network access we modify all we manage all the requests uh before each release so i mean this will improve obviously when we kind of flesh out a, a bit more of a, a larger team that we can actually use to to quality assure the product we're releasing but uh all in all i would say that uh, I feel quite confident that the built-built product coming out in the desktop is still uh, not changing so much when a user is installing it. So I would say the, the risk there is is much more, uh, much, much more reduced based upon just the fact that we package everything before we release. So.
0: This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. It's so easy to get started. Head to linode.com changelog. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location, and in minutes, deploy your Linode cloud server. They have drool-worthy hardware, native SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, 99.9% uptime guaranteed. We are never down. 24/7 customer support, 10 data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world—they got you covered. Head to Linode.com/ChangeLog to get $20 in hosting credit—that's four months free. Once again, Linode.com/ChangeLog. So I guess the the next layer of security is, you know, one, am I installing something that is in fact secure? And then you kind of go back to this idea of reproducible builds, which is essentially the concept of, you know, you build it once and you give me a binary and I can confirm that binary relates back to its original source. And then obviously once it's running, you have runtime concerns, but where are you at with reproducible builds and that security level?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, something that we obviously care about. And it's not just from a security point. I mean, that's the most important, but obviously from a stability point, uh, having reproduced builds is very important. Uh, having a whole lot of things which change dynamically on install time is generally not not super nice to debug and, 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 and play with. So, uh, yeah, so this is something which is important for us. And Electron has a really great system here. Obviously, uh, it has a whole lot of bundling support, so you can bundle everything using Webpack or whatever you want uh, beforehand, which we do. Uh, So that creates static files uh, for the most part, which is great because then they don't change. They're they're what we run and what we test and then what we release. uh, And then ultimately what we sign as well. Um, So that's all all well and good. And then obviously there are still a couple of low level OS integrations, which we need, which need to be installed, uh, file system connections, uh things that electron has which which patch into the OS to kind of give kind of the look and feel of a native application these things we can't avoid uh we obviously can't bundle so unfortunately they need to need to be installed uh at at install time but we can kind of obviously restrict the the semantic versioning there and kind of be quite strict with the versions that we're installing so at least if we're locking to a particular version on npm then that should be the same code that everybody gets uh obviously again the trust has moved elsewhere it's moved to npm it's moved to the fact that they can run a, a secure secure firm there so the buck has to stop somewhere of course
0: yeah
1: random somewhat related question and that's just wondering about electron because th- there is so much pulled in like we're talking about dependency management there's so much there what was the original reason for electron it was because you know web technologies and you want to go across platform that's that's what i would assume would be why you selected it but you know why not write every line of ui from, from scratch right right why not remove that dependency
2: yeah true i mean i i actually started my development uh well career my my, my hobbyist interest in in development actually with q basic and and very quickly moved on to things like uh delphi actually so pascal and mm. delphi and 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 did a lot of uh raw interface development there and and I can see the value behind it because it's so easy to get off the ground and, mm-hmm. and build very, very powerful applications. And it's got native performance, which is something which I, I really value. It's the yeah. whole stinging feeling of using a web-based application uh, when you can kind of tell it's not quite as, as responsive as you would hope. So mm-hmm. that's a crucial point for me. But at the same time, after all of that, I'm left with a Windows application, which can run on a couple of versions of Windows and nowhere else. Uh, and, of course, there are other cross-platform applications. Uh, systems which allow you to build uh, cross-platform cross-platform native applications but I've seen so many of them and they don't really look super good and we wanted something which looked beautiful worked yeah. really well and was obviously less work for us because there's only two of us all only two of us uh, working full time and obviously we have a lot of really great contributors but uh, at that point in time it was important that we could get it done and get it done quickly uh, and then have a lot of code reuse, and then most important, uh, a UI which is uniform across the the operating system So, and we got three operating systems for the price of one uh, minus the bugs, of course, and the quirks with the UI. But uh, apart from that, it was super easy to get off the ground. And Electron was like kind of really coming into its its prime then. So for yeah. us, it was a, it was an obvious choice. And both of us were React developers, so it just made sense to kind of couple all of that UI work that we were we were playing with with Electron. So it worked really well
0: so if the electron team is listening what could they do to make your job easier from a security front
2: uh i think that like having as much eyes uh, on kind of the security aspects and kind of like the regular updates because obviously uh, electron uses uh, obviously chromium under under the hood and and kind of being as up to date with with uh with the actual base there the the upstream is 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 so super important because obviously uh mm-hmm. The, obviously, the funding levels are a little bit, little bit different. The the effort going in, into each is a little bit different. Obviously, the the interests and directions, like you mentioned earlier, are a little bit different. But uh, ideally, security should come first. I mean, it's it's so important in, in the browser landscape to to have something which is secure. And this comes back to the runtime security as well. It's like, uh, do I trust uh, Chrome to be secure in terms of runtime uh, attacks and stuff like that? Yes, for the most part, I would trust it to be quite secure. But it's it's never going to be perfect. But it's so important that there are so many applications now being based uh, based upon this platform that it, it's it's more important than it's ever been that it's more secure. It's not just a browser anymore. It's it's the base for a, a huge swath of applications. And obviously, in our password managers. So, yeah, we're very interested in, in kind of the development cycle being kept uh, kept very tight.
0: Is it a case where you would ever move away from electronic, or is this just good enough for now where it gets you to a certain point because you're a smaller team or you're, you know, you would have more to talk about later, but like your pre funding or pre, I'm assuming, revenue at this point, you get some sort of service ideas or business around this to sustain it in the long term, but. Is this good enough for now or you eventually think ah, we should
2: probably build most of this on our own after a certain point? Super good question. I mean, and that also relates strongly to the mobile application, which is mm. built on a React, React Native. It's, it's very much uh, related to this this uh, topic. So I think that, yeah, would we build them native if we had the, the resources mobile? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'm done with React Native. It's a beautiful system to get off the ground. It's, it's a lot of fun to work with in the beginning, but to maintain over the long term, it's been a huge pain in our neck, especially with crypto. Uh, and I'll get to that later. But uh, in terms of uh, Electron, uh, Electron's treated us really well um, and it's been very enjoyable. But I think that if we had the development resources, I think that we would definitely strongly consider uh, building native, obviously, to reduce uh, security risk. And another thing to reduce uh package size because right now our installer is around the 55 megabyte mark. It's gigantic for uh, what it does. And obviously that's because you're packaging a whole web browser and no JS with it. So if you could get rid of that, that issue there, uh, you'd end up with a faster, smaller, more secure application. Uh, but obviously that involves a lot more work than we're capable of putting, putting in right now uh, before we actually get funding and, and be able to work on this full time.
1: This is probably a crazy idea and it's probably also a bad idea, but there's so many electron-based applications running on any given machine on a regular basis. It's almost like you should have like a dynamic linked library that is electron or like a like a single instance of Chromium or something that all these electron apps would be running against, that shared (laughs) memory. Like that seems like that's probably pretty stupid, right?
2: No, I, I think for most applications, it, it probably would be okay. I mean, but then the emphasis is on how much security yeah, uh, it's is actually. security, like, but it's better. Yeah, for user and especially like for like shared shared memory. Like, I mean, the second there's any vulnerability, then you've just kind of opened the doors for for an attack vector there. So I think that there's, and of course, like if you tell explain that process to people, they're only going to yeah. criticize Electron more than they are already today. So yeah. I think that like for the small increase in performance, it's probably not worth the bad publicity. I would say.
0: I was thinking the same wow. thing, Jerry. I was like, that's kind of a, not a very smart way to do You're it. You are Jesus. smart enough not to say it <laughs> well, out loud. Just, <laughs> I was thinking that though, because I was like, well, that's the case. I mean, if you can remove Node.js and you can remove Chromium, but if you had a trusted local source that, but then that only makes it more and more niche, right? Like that's, That's not going to be everybody. Well, right. Like not everybody's going to do that. Even if you can, you'd have to have like a full build and then like
1: a linked build. Right. Yeah. It's like I said, it's probably a bad idea, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Cause I was just trying to solve this problem. Like it seems so silly that, you know, you get this new application and because of the same reasons that you picked Perry, they wanted to be cross platform. They understood web technologies. They wanted, you know, these things that were so easy. A lot of people are building electron apps. And as an end user, you know, I don't care so much about cross platform as long as it's in my platform, which is the same exactly. for everybody, right? But on my platform, like, I just, I do not want to have a new Chrome instance for every single app that I'm running. And I, all this memory bloat and stuff just seems like overkill. And so I'm just trying to come up with ways of solving it. And
0: well, that was for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's all Well, not yeah. just
0: for me, but yeah. No, I know. No, I'm, I'm just joking because it makes sense to be selfish in that way. Like, you want to be. You want your, we talk about this in Apple nerds all the time, like certain applications just bloating up the, you know, blowing up the RAM or blown up the CPU. And, you know, this is why, because you have multiple builds or whatever, just basically waste chilling there. And, you know, we're, we're particular.
2: Yeah, of course. And like, that's, that's a, a big concern of ours as well. I mean, I think that both of us are very uh, perfectionist in terms of kind of uh, getting the best out of it we can. And mm-hmm. obviously uh, sometimes to our fault of not being able to release things fast enough, we would like it to be as perfect as possible. and. Uh, one pain point as such is definitely the definitely the ui uh we feel like we kind of love the look of it and love how it responds but in terms of like the resource usage yeah it's it's a huge pain and that would be something which would be great to get rid of but at the same time having this unified deployment and build process and everything means that we can also release fixes and updates much quicker uh it's you know maybe like half a day to get a brand new feature in and all cleaned up and, and released instead of you know, spending a couple of days on one OS and then going across to, to Mac and Linux and doing doing the same build process, uh, which would be a huge pain. So, I yep. mean, you really need a team to do that simultaneously, especially in terms of security releases and stuff like that. You can't afford to have a long, a long uh, release cycle. Uh, at mm. this early stage. So Electron's kind of helped us with that, but I can see that we might outgrow it at some point, but at the same time, I can see Electron improving like by leaps and bounds mm. uh, in the not so distant future. So I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that it will get smaller and faster and lighter and more secure all the time. But uh, of course, that's just a just a pipe dream at this point. So,
0: so if you had your rathers though, you'd rather, as you just said, rather than move on to
2: native builds for each yeah, I, I think it's, I definitely prefer the process. Like you said, I'm I'm, I'm a web developer. So for me, it, it makes a lot of sense. And we kind of like started this whole project as like a JavaScript project. It was like, it was the JavaScript password manager, um, kind oh. of like really embracing the community there. Uh, so everything mm-hmm. is built with JavaScript bar the mobile applications, crypto stuff, because we actually released the first version of the mobile app with the crypto browserify library. So basically the the Node.js compiled crypto libraries, which were gigantic, um, and they were terribly slow on mobile. didn't didn't work very well. crashed on a lot of devices. Uh, so we basically rewrote those in native Objective C and Java and built a bridge across to the to the app to use those and that was a, a great thing because the speed increased and the size of the app uh, went down um, but that's also a huge pain to, to maintain every time we, we find something we want to add in terms of a crypto support uh, we have to do the javascript modifications a lot of painful testing on a react native and then we have to do the the native code in objective c and java and obviously do tests for that as well so it's a it's a huge development process when we have to manage those those native builds
1: Are you actually writing those crypto libraries, or are you linking? Are you importing and statically linking them?
2: Yeah, so we're using. Well, we were using the the built-in crypto stuff in Objective C that Apple Mm -hmm. provides, and and the same in Java that Android provides. Uh, And just recently, actually, we've moved across to Rust. So we've removed all of that, and now the crypto library is built in Rust, and it's the same one which is deployed to both uh, to uh, Android and iOS. But that is using Rust's uh, core. Crypto library, so again, nothing mm-hmm. that we've rolled our own. It's uh, it comes with the with the base system. So very confident that we're using the the best and the safest there. Um, but now we're back to kind of having one build uh, for multiple devices, so it's a little bit nicer to work with.
1: And from React Native, let's let's talk about the mobile apps a little bit because you're frustrated with React Native. It sounds like a lot of that is because of running the JavaScript based crypto stuff on phones. Um, But it sounds like it's providing you at least the ability to call into that Rust code or the compiled, you know, output of the Rust code and to do these low level things and a kind of a cross platform. Fashion, um, tell us about your experience. Maybe some of the reasons that you are frustrated with that platform, <laughs> without crashing, yeah, without just crashing.
2: <laughs> no, actually, to, to be honest, I love React Native. Like it's it's been a fantastic experience, and I really feel it's, a, it's still somewhat unrivalled across the other other development environments for mobile. Uh, I've worked with Titanium and a little bit of Ionic and PhoneGap and Cordova. Played with all of them, and and really, it's just that the infrastructure was not there. And React Native kind of offered a familiar interface, obviously through React style uh, building of components, and that really appealed to me. And I gave it a bit of a go, and it worked amazingly well immediately on both platforms. And we just thought, hey, this would be a great way to start, Um, and that felt like a really good idea up until we had to do the crypto stuff, and then we realized our mistake. Uh, But at that point, we just kind of obviously said, okay, I mean, there's no way around this. At some point, the crypto is very, very performance and security heavy, so it needs to be native. Uh, in most cases, so we just bit the bullet and and built that natively. But I think that the biggest pain point for React Native is just the debuggability. It's just sometimes it, it gets you into a position where you've got some really really gnarly uh, transpiled and minified code running, which you're debugging on a virtual phone on your computer, which is using all of your memory and CPU. It's just it just gets to the point where it's like why why am I doing this this way? Mm. It just feels feels very counterintuitive, but you walk away from it and, you know, have a think and you come back to it and then it's okay. Or you delete all of the work that you did over the past day and start again. But I mean, <laughs> we've gotten through it with the mobile device and we have something which we're quite proud of. But I think that would be the first thing that we would, we would re- rebuild in separate native applications uh, had we the time. So
1: mm-hmm. One small statistic, which maybe is an outlier or a, a red herring, um, which you can speak to is Buttercup Desktop has 42 contributors that's the electron based app whereas buttercup mobile has th- just 3 contributors i'm speaking of code yes. contributions realizing that there are many other contributions besides code but maybe this shows that you know the difficulty of working with react native or maybe just the learning curve and those i'm sure two of those three are yourself and and uh and Solar, so just one just one third-party contributor on that one maybe the age of the repo also plays a factor but uh has it just been less community focus on on that application it, it really
2: has and we, we've tried to stir up focus in it uh we've had uh, some bounty source uh, items opened on, on the mobile application we've had uh, lots of re- uh, like outreach on twitter trying to get help with it and just yeah very little feedback and i mean not for like a trying it's just been just been uh, so little interest, and I mean, if you look at our users as well right now, um, we have a uh, three hundred and fifty thousand downloads on the desktop application, uh, which includes uh, some updates, of course. But uh, that's probably our, our biggest number of like active users is coming through the desktop application, and then comparatively uh, to the mobile application, uh, maybe we have uh, just a, a few thousand uh, c- compared to that. So it's 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 a much smaller interest group to start with. But at the same time, I just think that the the reward in developing in React Native, is just not there. Everyone I know uh, around me that uses React Native is doing it for work. Like they're getting paid. Their their salary comes from their work on React Native. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas so many people I know that work with Electron, they're doing it for hobby projects and, and, and really enjoying it. And I, I love it as well. It's just, I feel like it's just a, it's a very, very different environment. And I think it's such a steep uh, learning curve in terms of actually getting getting everything to work, getting all the libraries installed, getting the perfect environment, getting Xcode to a point where it doesn't want to update when you open it. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a huge, huge lot of work to get that working. Whereas Electron is very much just plug and play. You you install everything and you run it and you have a working application. So yeah, it's vastly different and that definitely does show in our contributions. It's, it's much harder for us to get the mobile application to a point where we're as happy with it as the desktop application, so.
0: Jared mentioned some concerns earlier about integrations. It's always been a stickler for him in terms of like user experience and even using a password manager in the first place. What are the, any gotchas on mobile around the experience in terms of integration? I know with iOS, you have the up arrow that lets you choose other services when you're on like a password login page, which I'm not sure that's a standard or not, or if it's because I have one password installed, but that, that key icon that lets you then choose or launch something. I believe it's just one password. I could be wrong, but maybe you could walk us through some of the UX concerns you may or may not have around mobile for you.
2: Yeah, uh, that that's a good point. And, and that if you're talking about the key, I, I believe it is at some point a, a an iOS level feature. They have in iOS 12, they have the new uh, password uh-huh. manager integration, which is really funny for Apple to do because. For them to acknowledge the password manager community as, as something which needs a direct integration like that is actually really cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so you can obviously you can integrate with that. You need to obviously uh, build it into the application, which we haven't done yet because it requires some low level uh, native code to do that integration, uh, which is still beyond us at the moment. So we're, that's currently in progress, but we haven't released it yet. Uh, but that's obviously very, very helpful, and that that bridges a huge gap in terms of usability because you don't you don't want to switch applications, like you said earlier. Like you want to exactly. just have it at your fingertip. This is where One Password's really uh, kind of pushing things forward here, because they were, to my knowledge, they're the first ones that announced the integration. Uh, So yeah, that's definitely where we want to be as well. Uh, And those are very, very tricky because these are things that React Native will never be able to do, uh, in my opinion. I just don't think it's going to be a a focus for the community to build. Uh, It requires a lot of low-level native integration and testing and making sure it works. It's not available in every uh, iOS version. So it's going to be something which you need to write the the Swift or Objective-C code to, to get working. So that, that's a bit a bit tricky there, but uh, still a very important point for a password manager to be usable is, yeah. is having the connection from the interface that you're currently looking at logging into.
0: I don't really mind app switching. I mean, I guess I'm less a Jared and more an Adam in this case, because I would actually <laughs> uh, deal with the security over convenience factor. Although I can remember a day when I've been a one password user for a very long time. So that's my perspective. I'm speaking from not so much keeping to marketing them, but you know, there was a day when that integration wasn't there, and I would app switch from you know my login screen or the app login screen back to this thing, and you know copy the password and remember the username, and you know manually type in one piece, but then paste the other. Oh. You know, and <laughs> see yeah. that's 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 turning Jared's stomach right there. He almost <laughs> threw up in his mic right there. Um, I mean, I was okay with that, but uh, it sounds like what you just said was that you would have to move away from React Native to get that kind of feature set.
2: Well, no, I mean, we 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 could do the same thing with the crypto, uh, basically. So you basically build build the the local, uh, the sorry, the native integration in Objective C or whatever the whatever the code base is, and then you have to build another bridge to the React Native. So the JavaScript Mm. is uh, calling an asynchronous bridge to the native code, and that becomes very fiddly because. Uh, testing that is pretty much impossible. Yeah, it comes down to acceptance testing uh, via the UI, um, and then maybe unit testing either side separately. But it, it's a huge pain to kind of manage that mm-hmm. and debugging. It's very painful because you can't just write logs on the uh, the native code side and expect to see them in your in your console. This is why I
0: thought eventually Apple would just buy the Goliath in the space, and maybe this is what's drawn you to it. I could be wrong, but I've always speculated that Apple would eventually buy one password and just be done.
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's a very good question. Yeah. But I mean, of course, like it's a, it's a huge target. And I mean, you're, you're buying so much when you look at these companies, you're buying a huge, uh, Mm expansive users and and operating systems and integrations. And uh, I think that it would be quite a smart move, but at the same time, like, Apple also doesn't shy away from building things themselves and having fully yeah. fleshed products, so it wouldn't surprise me if they went either way with that. I mean, it seems like they're already taking uh, quite the route uh, of doing things themselves with with password management, anyway. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I'll say you know, one password is a power user tool and it's for teams and it's for advanced situations. Apple's iCloud Keychain stuff completely suits me as just a regular user that just wants my stuff, my passwords. Yeah, you're just right. There. You know
2: yeah it, it, Apple's definitely uh, looks more focused towards like the end user really really not, not so much the, the teamwork side of things <laughs>
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at GoCD. GoCD is an open source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. Check them out at GoCD.org or on GitHub at GitHub.com GoCD. GoCD provides continuous delivery out of the box with its built-in pipelines, advanced traceability, and value stream visualization. With GoCD, you can easily model, orchestrate, and visualize complex workflows from end to end with no problem. They support Kubernetes and modern infrastructure with elastic on-demand agents and cloud deployments. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.org. It's free to use, and they have professional support and enterprise add-ons available from ThoughtWorks. Once again, go slash changelog.
1: We're talking about mobile integration and and the main thing that you need on your mobile device that you also want on your desktop that you also want i don't know on your wristwatch or wherever else you need passwords is the same vault right you need that sync so this is one of the main things that i think you started off saying you wanted perry so tell us about the sync story with buttercup and how it works to get that vault propagating
2: around yeah I mean this was this is one of the the points which actually got me started on Buttercup was uh, obviously maybe pass wasn't the best decision for me to start with, but it was a it was a great start. It was free uh, has a lot of open source uh, applications around it. so that was kind of my starting point. and I noticed that the this there's no syncing. I mean they have some sort of basic uh really really hard to set up web server which you can use to kind of sync your accounts, but just not very not very user friendly there at all. So that kind of propelled me into like building Buttercup in a way which would be easily synchronized. So uh buttercup writes to Vault files like we spoke about earlier. They're just text basically. So they're really easy to store and send and, and very, very lightweight uh while being secure. So I immediately thought, okay, well, where can I put this? Like where can I put it where it's accessible everywhere? And I happen to be running my own cloud server at home, so uh, called own cloud, which is fantastic, mm. free open source software. Uh but obviously not everybody does that. So immediately we also built a a Dropbox uh connection as well. So uh Pretty much everybody knows Dropbox. It's a household name. Uh, it also happens to be free, and the fact that we're encrypting the content before we store it there kind of negates, uh, in our opinion, the any risks which might be associated to using a cloud service provider. Uh, not all of them, of course. I mean, again, we're still trusting a vendor, but at the same time, um, storing it on your own computer, storing it in your cloud server, like at least Dropbox has a has a team of professionals behind it. So uh, that was an obvious choice for us. So we started with with those two um into in terms of syncing the archive and and made it available via a via web interface to all of our applications so uh, very easy to load it up in each device decrypt it run it save it write it back to the the host there
1: so i'm feeling like a failure adam as a as a <laughs> changelog er i've never heard of own cloud uh how, how about yourself it's uh first for me man i'm with you <laughs> we, we missed it so maybe an upcoming episode on own cloud that's something you think is pretty cool perry
2: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's a a PHP-based system. Um, It has a couple of derivatives. Also, uh, Nextcloud, which I want to give a shout out to. Those guys have been amazing helping us with integrations. All of it's open source. Uh, It's as good, if not better, in my personal opinion, than some services like similar to Dropbox, obviously because one, it's free, but it's also very, very fast. They have all the clients, mobile applications, and you pay nothing for it. Of course, you need to be uh, relatively tech savvy to set it up yourself, but other mm-hmm. than that, these these services are, are a lot of fun to work with and kind of teach you a lot about mm. uh, cloud storage as a whole. Um, and it just seemed like a natural start for us. And we also added uh, web dev support, uh, which many online uh, the web hosts support. Uh, I'm not sure whether like uh, Amazon Drive does anymore, but many of these these uh, cloud services support WebDAV, which is a great way to integrate with uh, cloud storage, which we also support. So,
1: so at the beginning of the show, Adam, you were mentioning that you used one password with Dropbox support, and then you upgraded to some sort of paid version because you had problem or you didn't enjoy the experience with Dropbox specifically. Buttercup based on Dropbox or own cloud or WebDAV, but. Um, curious what uh, remind me adam what the issue is with dropbox with your password sync
0: well i always had like 2fa going on there so i obviously had some sort of like crazy long password to get into dropbox because hey it's dropbox right like i wouldn't want anybody in that thing so my you don't password, want password your dropbox <laughs> right my password would be in one password so to install it you know i would have to read this super long password from my phone or something like that that did have access to one password so that I can install Dropbox just to sync it. And then, well, of course I've got tons of stuff in my Dropbox. So it's like, how do I prioritize what to sync to a brand new machine? So that whole song and dance got more and more troubling. So I was like, you yeah. know what? I love Dropbox sync for most things except yeah. for brand new machine installations, which was the first thing you're install is going to be you know your password manager because you're doing lots of stuff
2: yeah i mean there's, there's a lot of friction there obviously uh, with logging in and i've done the same thing a couple of times log into the vault on my phone um, and needing the password to the storage host that i'm storing it on so i need my desktop computer and i need to open up the mm-hmm. password there so i can kind of type it in my phone uh, that's kind of like unavoidable unfortunately i mean uh, unless of course you have a, a paid hosted account with whatever provider you're using uh, such as one password but of course, I mean, we would like to still circumvent that somehow. Like we have some plans to release like a, a, a secure QR code, which you can just scan on your mobile app. So basically, if you've got your computer nearby, you could instantly connect uh, to the same, same vault and the same source just by scanning it with your phone. Yeah. Um, and that would alleviate some of the typing in of, of multiple passwords and kind of getting that to your device. So we have some ways to get past it there. But ultimately, yeah, we'd want to end up with a lot of people using um, our eventual hosted service. Uh, which would which would kind of alleviate a lot of these these self storage and uh, issues with using providers like Dropbox and, and other other ones.
0: It sounds like from just like that perspective, I'm assuming this. I'm hoping you, you answer it however you feel like it, of course, but that you're in this for the long haul. Like we've had this great conversation about some really thoughtful stuff on how uh, you know you've built out Buttercup. So a lot of thoughts gone into various layers of this, various tons and tons of hours of your time have gone into this. And it seems like the next step past sync is the service, which could be the next step to some sort of like long-term game for you. What's that look like for you?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, this was, is still obviously a, a hobby for us uh, at some point, but like we've gotten to the point now where we realize that we're we're extremely serious about what we've built and and the community has been super supportive and, and like really positive about what we've been been providing so far and a lot of people wanting to to get in on it and, and use it. And we've received a lot of compliments and already that's kind of fueled uh, our desire to actually uh, make make something of this and, and and kind of keep it afloat. And as much as we enjoy uh, leaving work, leaving our day jobs and coming home and then spending several hours uh, on, on Buttercup, which we will continue to do, of course, no matter what. Uh, I think that it would be great to kind of make this a a full-time thing and and actually have a team behind it and and see where this will go. So we have plans to release a a hosted service, uh, hopefully sometime in the first half of next year, uh, where we could uh, host people's vaults uh, online, uh, similar to the other services. However, we're we're trying to create a really, really low bar of entry for people and we're going to, we're we're intending to have a free hosted service uh, for single uh, personal use vaults. So there won't be any charge to host your vault on on the site due to the fact that they're so super small and I mean obviously that's going to be great for adoption uh, in uh-huh. our eyes is, mm-hmm. is if it's not going to cost anything. But we intend to also have a, a team based uh, cost model behind that, which would which would hopefully drive some some sort of company which uh, support the development uh, of Buttercup in the future, including the open source, of course. So our intention is to build a company behind it and have that also support the open source community in whatever way we can. So it's just going to make the whole whole project a much stronger, stronger entity.
0: So is that, uh, are you going that route because you think it's the the great way to take the business the next step, or is that the preferred route to some sort of sustainable funding? You know, because there's other ways you can go about sustainability. I'm just curious if that's the route you chose to go because of some sort of grand vision and future.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we've looked at uh, other other ways of... Uh, of of funding this. And we, we've we had a, we've had a lot of, a lot of talks with some great investors ar- around, around Helsinki as well. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, I think that like we've chosen it because we, we would actually like to kind of uh, see it built into a, in, into a company. Uh, it would be nice to kind of like have some, some full-time employees around and actually have some, some sort of process there. We've tried things like a uh, open collective, which is, which has worked uh, exceptionally well. Uh, but I just don't think it's going to going to scale to a level uh fast enough where where we kind of need need the growth uh where we want it now so I think that uh getting some funding and actually getting this off the ground and, and actually getting some people which are building these things on a daily basis I, I think it's going we're going to see some some great growth and and we're going to get away from all these uh these pain points which we're seeing now in terms of actually release times and not being able to devote the full day of work to it so that once those things go away I think that buttercup's going to definitely catch up and be be someone to contend with
0: so just to Harken back to Open Collective. You've got a, from what I could tell, a two hundred eighty-three dollar estimated today's balance. So you got an annual budget of two hundred eighty-five dollars. Yes. On open Collective. So I can see how that's not going to scale to employees. It's not going to do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we also haven't spent anything on marketing, really. Right. So it's kind of hard to say uh, right now, like where that would go. Um, and people have been really supportive already. Obviously, doing that. But mm. of course, uh, if we want to. Say hire a full-time developer, which would be the the first place we'd probably want to start. I mean, developers aren't cheap, really, anywhere you look. So I, I think that like having having some uh, some high-level funding behind that's going to be going to be crucial to kind of getting off the ground. If we had someone working even just full-time on on Buttercup, that would be like an immense help for us uh, pushing out new new features and getting these these low-level integrations on mobile devices, which are, are sorely needed. So yeah, I think that's the direction we're, we're looking at taking at this point
1: just from an outsider's perspective i'm not i'm not a domain expert on enterprise security but it seems like having a hosted solution could potentially lend itself well to an enterprise play wherein you could go on premise because if you if you if you think about what an enterprise needs or what plays well financially at the enterprise level uh, mission critical things uh, that are infrastructure and security focused uh, where they'll want to run it on their own networks and potentially play a premium to have a ho- self-hosted version on their own networks. Um, yeah, potentially some options there. So yep, definitely sure. uh, interesting potential future. What, what kind of service will it provide? What additional features? Obviously, it's going to be syncing without the need to have a Dropbox or an own cloud, but are there team features? Are there other things that you're thinking that will be offered that Buttercup core or Buttercup, I don't know, non-hosted? Or self-hosted or cloud, yeah. it won't do.
2: I mean, the sharing thing is something we're going to have to work on because uh, the way that we've built the vaults is, uh, is is quite complex. But we feel that like the sharing aspect of things is going to be uh, going to be fantastic for us to actually have as a as a paid feature because I, I think it, it deserves that, of course. But at the same time, uh, having like an array of vaults where it's just kind of seamlessly synchronized between users, uh, being able to invite people. Easily uh, having your family in there uh, and then having the ability where people can modify the vault at the same time, but it's still at the end of the day stored in the one mm-hmm. same spot under the same encryption key. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our vault structure right now lends itself to being uh, very, very easily merged. So like uh, we have conflict management built into the core, which is going to play very, very well for sharing and also uh, offline. Uh, vaults as well. So for instance, if you're on a plane or something and you update a password or add an entry or something like that, and then you go online and then you want to merge your changes, these are things which uh, need to be thought about. And I think that our structure actually lends itself quite well to that and and to the sharing aspect. And of course, there's also the benefit of uh, encrypted media, such as maybe you have like a photograph of your passport or something in your vault or or your driver's license or something. And these are things which we also need to consider uh, storing securely. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be many, many features which we will release uh, both in the free, free public open source version and obviously some to enrich the, the business side of things. But uh, primarily, yeah, it'll be it be team based. It'll be hierarchical if if that's what you choose in terms of your company structure. Uh, so different permissions for different vaults, maybe read access, uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a huge amount we could do there, but. Uh, once we get off the ground, or we have the free free week version released first, then we can look at what we want to do with the teams.
1: I did see a notes field in one of your UI screen grabs. Are there is there currently the ability to store additional metadata or non passwords, maybe uh, SSL certificates or API keys that aren't specifically passwords, and use those in different ways?
2: Um, not in a user friendly way. We we do support it, but we haven't uh, updated the interface yet. That is uh, currently in the works. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. we, we have an intention to first, uh, store basic things like, uh, basic text files, like SSH keys. But I think that one of the most requested features, which we're, which we have yet to release is the, the ability to store, um, uh, like media, like images and videos and documents. Yeah. And, and that's very, very tricky because we're trying to manage a very performant encryption process on mobile and, and different devices. And when you're encrypting media, you need to be obviously very careful how you transfer that around and... I mean, how we store that as well on a cloud service. Do we bundle everything in one file or do we split the media based upon what they, what they stored? So there's a lot of questions we have to answer there. Um, and we need to kind of choose wisely before we release that uh, just to make sure that we have uh, the future in mind in terms of performance.
1: One thing that's cool is you guys have an open source roadmap repo with an overview and all sorts of stuff in there. So you're very open with regards to where this is heading. But I'm just curious about, you know, as a side project, uh, that you work on at night after you're done, you know, doing your <laughs> nine to five yeah. coding, how do you prioritize? How do you get motivation? Like, what do you decide to work on on a Thursday night after you've just finished work? Like, do you have a, a prioritized list of tasks and you're just working down them? Does it, whatever you feel like, you know, sometimes it's like yeah. projects, like, <laughs> what do I feel like working on? Right. Cause it's about fun anyways. How do you make these decisions?
2: It's been the biggest learning learning uh, process of this entire entire procedure, really. Uh, just kind of figuring out what motivates me. This has been an amazing teacher in that regard, because until you you undertake projects anywhere near this size, uh, you don't really realize like what 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 is a super killjoy for you and what actually kind of really gets you up in the morning. Um, and the crypto thing kind of started it off, but you very quickly realize like, oh, this isn't so fun. I don't really want to come <laughs> home and do this. So you work on something else. That's funny. Uh, and I think that Buttercup has been a lot of that, actually. We've kind of worked around the edges uh, to start with, around the things that we love. And then at some point, you kind of have to you have to build the meat of it to kind of get it going. And it's been so much like Slar and I kind of bouncing things off each other, like kind of picking each other up. Like if we didn't have each other to kind of get through this, like if we, if with, without us motivating each other and kind of getting us psyched about what we're building, it would be so much more difficult. But I think it's about who you surround yourself with. And then it's also the feedback loop you give yourself Uh, online as well. Like when you're, when you're giving this to people and when you're talking about it online, it's setting yourself a realistic feedback loop for enjoyment. Like uh, you're setting yourself realistic goals, not goals, which are too far in the future and kind of get the small things done and then kind of take solace in the fact that, hey, I got this done. This is amazing. And doing that over and over and over again for days and days and days on end until you actually have something which you want, but it's just make everything smaller has been kind of the key for us. And it's worked, obviously, because we've gotten three large scale applications out. Um, and we would not have been able to do that if we if we set off day one wanting to build three large scale applications. It's you have to start super small and just keep building on the building blocks and and just keep focused and try not to not to go off and start something new every day. But that, that's that been a, a huge battle for us.
0: Focus is key. We learned over the years that just how important focus really is. It's yeah. it's pretty easy to be, you know, squirrel or shiny object focused i guess which is sort of the anti-focus but geez i mean you know being able to focus on one core thing for the day or one or two primary things i like to call them you know what's my what's my primary mission for today What, what can i do today to make it successful and try to camp out there and once i've gotten that done it's like okay now i can move on to you know more squirrel based operations where it's like (laughs) <laughs> What's the most pressing or shiniest thing that I could do next? Now that I've done my primary thing, I
2: had to do today to make today successful. And and it also comes down to like build something that you want to use, yeah. something that you want to do. Like don't build like I always think that like so many people say like okay, you should probably find a market uh, for what you're actually building if you really want it to be successful. But I'm completely opposite. Forget the market. Pick something that you want to do, and then find the market later. Obviously, not really uh, the right way to go about things in terms of business sense, but you're not going to get it done if you don't really enjoy it. You have to love what you're doing to actually, to get it there. So kind of pick what you're interested in first. And eventually you'll come to the point where actually build something that you want to actually use. And the, the day where we kind of like woke up and realized that, Hey, I'm actually using Buttercup as what I wanted it originally, probably like a year later from when I actually set out doing it, uh, was like a, a really kind of like a woke moment for us. It's a, quite, quite rewarding to get to that point already. And obviously we've kind of gone past that and we have bigger goals, but it still comes to the fact that like every day I use the application, which I started building. And I think that's such a rewarding experience, no matter how big or small that is. So I think that like, if you can pick something which you want to use and what something that you want to do, uh, it's it's going to mean uh, success in, in some level of measure. So...
0: Well, let's tee things up for the audience that's listening, because I'm sure that there's at least 20,000 people psyched to hear this show and uh, hackers jumping at the bit to come and help if they can. So you got roadmaps, you've got goals, you got your own focus. That you, so if you can focus yourself, can you focus others? Maybe. I, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, you know, how do you help on-ramp others to come in and help out? Is it, Is this a project that you're inviting others to come in and help or is it primarily around security related things? How can you invite the community to play a part to ensure the buttercup has the next step?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that like at least everybody, which is obviously kind of at all interested in tech and stuff like that. I mean, you use computers every day. I mean, you probably have hundreds of accounts and this is something which affects all of us is like how easy is this process going to be of of staying secure um and it should be enjoyable i think because it's something you do so often it should be something which you don't think about or something which you look at and go yes that's that's how it should be that's that's really nice and we want buttercup to be that and it it can be it can be everybody's it's kind of like like we we can all benefit from this from this process so like yeah we we really appreciate people jumping in and giving giving us their opinions and redesigning things and saying oh you know, you could basically remove three or four clicks from this whole process. Like, we we would love that. And there are so many things that we haven't thought of. And so many people which have had these, these really strong opinions over their entire time using a password manager, which they bring to Buttercup. And it just blows our mind. It's just like, this is fantastic. And I think that Buttercup is a really low... Level where they can just jump in and kind of just give us their opinions and actually see them implemented quite quickly, I mean there's probably not a huge amount of places where you could take these to actually have some real effect, but we're willing and waiting uh to get these these great great ideas and and to move forward with them because I think that buttercup is in the perfect position now to actually have all these things implemented and and tidy it up and 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 add all, add all these cool features which are going to make it a a pleasure to use. I like, too, how you got it in your
0: issues, at least for Buttercup Core, where you've got effort, priority, status, and type in terms of tags. And then you've got, like, obviously for the effort, you got, you know, low, medium, high, same thing for priority, low, medium, high, and status being available or unavailable. Or if it's an enhancement, the type is enhancement or something else. I'm only seeing enhancement for type, but that's kind of interesting, too, that you've made it a little easier to to jump in there. So a a lot of these issues... Uh, U.S. generator generated or is it community generated? What's the what's the makeup of some of these issues, and how do you how do you drive people to the right issues and invite them in?
2: Yeah, um, that's 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 uh, it's it's been quite a, a big learning process for us as well. I mean, core is probably the oldest repo uh, in Buttercup, so it's probably got the most uh, mature label set out of all of them. Uh, and I would say that Core has been probably mostly our internal issues. I mean, with a few contributed externally. But I would say that the desktop is the complete opposite. It's definitely the majority of the issues are from the community, which has been really good. So their opinions, their discussions, their mm-hmm. ideas coming from them, and very few are are actually ours, uh, which is really good. So obviously, you can see a lot of people using the desktop application, saying that this is great, but and then they're making a couple of issues and. We get a lot of PRs there. Uh, We have localization working with uh, uh, tens of languages on the desktop, which we still need to integrate into the other ones. So obviously the second that we open up the localization, we had uh, like maybe like five to 10 PRs immediately for different languages. That was fantastic. So, I mean, yeah, it's just we're trying to basically make it easy for people to find it and kind of get into these. And we've tried a couple of times kind of marking like these are easy to start Issues if you haven't looked at Buttercup before. Mm. Uh, we're on Spectrum, which is an amazing uh, chat uh, system which allows us, like threaded discussions in a little bit of a faster manner. It's like a little bit easier to use than than GitHub and and easy to connect with. And the guys over at Spectrum have been giving us. Giving us a pretty good uh, rundown of how to use this system and kind of giving us a lot of publicity there. So we have several channels between Twitter, GitHub, and Spectrum where we can actually kind of like help uh, feed people into the right right areas if they want to help and share their ideas.
0: We're coming close on time, but I have one last question and a suggestion. So we'll start with the question. The question is: We haven't asked you about the name. I mean, Buttercup. What's Buttercup? So
2: in 1987, there was a my favorite movie uh, was released called The Princess Bride. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, fantastic! Uh, absolutely love that movie. A uh, m- very, very special place in my heart. Uh watched it day in, day out, every day for for, for several years. Just fantastic. Uh, You're either piece of a
0: film. Jack Pryor Roberts, uh, something Pryor Roberts fan, or a or or a very romantic person. Which are you?
2: Yeah. No, <laughs> no, pr- probably probably the former. Um, I just I just think it really spoke to me. I think I actually, funnily enough, I was actually a huge fan of Carrie at that point. Uh mm. it's just like the whole and uh, Mandy Patinkin, obviously, he just kind of really, really stole that part. And obviously Andre the Giant. I mean, the whole cast was just incredible yeah. and the movie was amazing and and definitely a very warm and happy movie. And because it was so fond, uh, I felt that the the name kind of came from there. Buttercup was the obviously the name of uh Robin Wright's character. Uh mm-hmm. and that just kind of really spoke to me and the the name stuck, it was unique, it was kind of a little bit, it was it sticks on the mind and it was kind of used jokingly at the start, but at the same time it, it did just stick. So yeah, uh Solara was very accepting of it and it just took off. So started there and it's got a pretty, pretty funny beginning. Oh my gosh. Great that's answer.
0: A, the most amazing movie ever. I mean how Andre scaled that wall, I will still never know. Uh <laughs> it, there obviously. he is. Well, all right. So that that's a good answer for the name then. So we'll we'll close with a suggestion then. So you mentioned uh your distaste for marketing, at least in, in terms of, you know, choosing to code instead uh, or tackle a new focus or a new feature. One thing I would suggest is to create a list for those to join uh, or email or something like that. So they can say, Hey, I'm kind of interested in your future sync uh, platform that you plan to have, because one, it would help you uh, with marketing it really easily. And then two, once you do get to it, you got a nice base of people to say, Hey, we're open for business. Come check us out. Cause I mean that I'm ready. I want to add myself to that list. So this is kind of self-serving, but you know, we're here on a podcast so we might as well make it up for everybody, but uh, I'd like to add myself to a list that says, Hey, when, when buttercup has my buttercup up and running fully for syncing and, uh, hosted, or maybe even future team services that I can check it out because that's the key feature that I personally need.
2: Yeah, that, that's a fantastic idea. And I think that's a definitely definitely going to be an important first step for us. Uh, we actually want to have a, a select group of users actually alpha test the, yeah. the platform as well. So I think that, that that list would also play into that very well. So yeah, fantastic idea. I think that we'll definitely chase that one. There
0: you go. Well, Perry, thank you so much for your time today, man. It's been a pleasure talking through this with you. Clearly, you're passionate about it. We we also share your passion for the desire for a more secure Uh, more performant applications like this. I mean, thank you so much for sharing your time and thank you for doing what you do. So thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, really.
0: Right, that's it for this week's episode of the changelog thanks for tuning in if you enjoy the show if you got any value from it do us a favor go into itunes or apple podcast rate the show review it it helps us get ranked up inside those indexes so more people find the show if you're using overcast go ahead and favorite it and of course tweet a link to a friend or share it wherever you might want to huge thanks to our awesome sponsors and partners Robar, linode and go cd also thanks to fastly our bandwidth partner Hedale. At fastly.com to learn more and we're able to move fast and fix things here at changelog because of rollbar check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on leno cloud servers we trust leno because they're fast they keep it simple check them out at linodecom changelog today's show is hosted by myself adam Stukoviac, and jared santo editing mixing and mastering was done by tim smith and the music is done by the ever-awesome Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com slash master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows, as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.
2: I'm Tim Smith, and my show Away From Keyboard explores the human side of creative work.
1: You'll hear stories sometimes deeply personal about the triumphs and struggles of doing what you love. I got really depressed last year, and the reason it was so hard is because basically everything culminated at once. All these things I'd been avoiding, all these things I'd swept under the rug, they all came out at once. New episodes premiere every other Wednesday. Find the show at changelog.com AFK